Welcome, everyone. Good to see all of you here today. Hello? Are you there? <laughs> it has been great to see some familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while. Amanda, where were you sitting over there? There we go. Amanda, we're sorry Joe couldn't come, but you tell him that we miss him, we love him, and maybe next time he can come out too. Um, and some new faces that we've met, maybe never seen before who are here today. We're glad that you are here today, and we're excited to be back once again as we continue our journey towards Easter in this series that we started last Sunday called Passion. And uh, remember, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. He, he wasn't the threat, uh, or it wasn't the threat of the Roman legions or the hatred of the Jewish leadership. Rather, it was his passion for us. It was his passion for humanity that led him to take the punishment of our sins upon himself. Jesus gave up his life so that we might have eternal life. So as we learned last week, he was fueled by unconditional and sacrificial love. And God the Father, as we know, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave up the greatest gift, Jesus, through whom we might all experience everlasting for life and forgiveness. Now, whenever someone does something for others in a selfless or sacrificial way, we would call that a gift. Some gifts may seem a little more significant than others. How many of you have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Anybody here seen that movie? I watched that again the other day, and uh, I was reminded of the true story of a man who was a conscientious objector, and his name is Desmond, or was Desmond Doss. And even though he could not take another life, he still wanted to serve his country by saving lives. He felt he had to serve, but he would not carry a gun into battle. And in an interview years later, he explained that he wanted to be like Christ, saving life rather than taking life. And the movie reveals the struggles that he went through uh, from his fellow troops who misunderstood his conviction as cowardice. They mistook his humble demeanor and his unwillingness to kill as fear. But they would soon realize that his conviction and humility was not cowardice. It was driven by his faith. And many of those same critics would one day claim that they had never met a more courageous man, that he was the most courageous man they had ever known. He served as a medic in World War II with the 77th Infantry Division. And during the Battle of Okinawa, his unit was fighting to hold on to this ridge. 
which they had nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge. And under heavy enemy fire and counterattacks, his platoon had to fall back over the ridge, leaving hundreds of wounded men at the top. Well, rather than escaping himself, Doss stayed on the top of that ridge, trying to save as many men as he could. All night long, he crawled around that battlefield looking for someone he could save. Not just Americans, but also Japanese soldiers as well. And when he found them, he used a pulley system that he had designed, and he lowered them down the cliff to the Americans below. That night, he risked his own life, and he saved an estimated 75 men. And here is a brief excerpt from a YouTube video about him. Let's watch that. Showering Doss's battalion with artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire, the Japanese drove the majority of the group back down the face of the escarpment. But dozens of casualties were still left behind. I had these men up there, and I couldn't leave them. They were my buddies. Some of my men were families, and they trusted me. I didn't feel like I should value my life above my buddies, and so I decided to stay with them and take care of as many of them as I could. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Doss remained to tend the wounded, dragging them to the cliff's edge and attempting to lower them down the escarpment but I didn't have enough rope to do the job like it should be done. Then the Lord brought to my mind that night I learned in West Virginia I'd never seen or heard of before. Relying on his childhood experience rescuing flood victims, Doss fashioned a special sling that enabled him to lord the men one by one to safety. So I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more, one more until there was none left. Now the last one down. By nightfall, he had managed to rescue 75 fallen comrades. And that is just an amazing story. Now, Doss was wounded four times. A sniper's bullet fractured his left arm, and while he was being taken back behind the lines, he was wounded again when an enemy grenade landed near he and his fellow soldiers, and he kicked the grenade, and when it went off, he received 17 pieces of shrapnel in his body. He was the first and only conscientious objector who was awarded the Medal of Honor in American history. There was one thing he prayed that night, and you heard him say it. Uh, every time he got a man down off that cliff, he would just close his eyes and he would pray, Lord, help me get one more. Just one more, Lord. Doss gave a gift that was priceless. He was willing to offer his own life in the effort to save more lives. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Doss humbly believed that the lives of those men were as valuable as his own life. And that, in essence, is what humility is all about. 
We live in a world that often treats humility as weakness. Doss lived in that world too. People may misunderstand humility as cowardice or as being soft. So many reject the notion of humility as a good character trait. However, as Christians, we know that the opposite is true. Humility is one of the most courageous character traits a person can have. And I say this because it was one of the driving forces of Jesus' decision to die on the cross. And this is the big idea for today. Jesus' passion was fueled by humble love. Last week we talked about his unconditional love. And today we want to focus on his humble love. He gave up heaven to come to earth to live as a human and die as a human. Jesus chose humility and living to serve others. And he offered up his life as a ransom for many. And it was this act of love that caused him to be given the name above all names. Let's go to him in prayer right now. Lord, help us to put others before ourselves, to be obedient and faithful to your high calling. Help us not just act humbly, but to think humbly. May we live as Jesus lived and obey you humbly. Although he is God, he gave up himself for others, even though others would reject him. Help us to reflect his humble love in the way that we love those around us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, Jesus was fueled by love, as we've already discussed. But if love was the fuel, then there was also several additives present in the life of Jesus. And we'll learn today one of those irreplaceable additives was humility. Jesus was and is described as a humble king who serves a world in desperate need. And today, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that points to the humility of Christ as one of his most significant character traits. It's in Philippians chapter 2. So let's read together, beginning in verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Notice that Paul calls us to have the same mindset as Jesus. In other words, we need to think the way Jesus thought. Some people have the attitude, well, God, I will go and do what you're calling me to do, but only if it aligns with my own priority list and my own schedule and my own comfort zone. Paul understood that those who are used by God for great things are often outside of their comfort zone and certainly outside of their own priority list. He knew that all of his life had to be surrendered to God. And rather than telling God to conform to his opinions and attitudes, he had to adapt his opinions and attitude to those of Jesus. Which begs the question for us today. Have you surrendered everything to God? All of it. Have you surrendered your thoughts to God? Your mindset? Are you trying to conform to God? Or are you trying to get God to conform to you? And so the first thing we need to consider from the text is this. We must think humbly. Think humbly. Now, how many of you were alive in 1980? Raise your hand if you were alive in 1980. <laughs> wow. How many of you weren't alive in 1980? Raise your hands. Uh, okay, a lot of you. You young whippersnappers. Uh, do, do any of you that were alive remember a singer-songwriter named Mac Davis? Anybody? Oh, see, some of y'all know him. And you remember that little song that he wrote? I, you know, it was sort of a satirical song, but it goes, I'm not going to sing it, because it'd be terrible, but I'll tell you some of the words. The words said, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> And, and it went on to say, I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. <laughs> it was a funny song, and he was making fun of himself. But, you know, in all honesty, there are people that think that way. George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Well, friends, if it, when we became Christians... The Holy Spirit came into our life, and that Spirit is supposed to change our minds. He is supposed to change our thinking. We are to adapt our thinking to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means that we begin to think more like Jesus and less like our old sinful, selfish self. And that's going to require some drastic mental reform. Now, God provided the tools we need to be able to create that reform. We have it in Scripture. And in these verses we read from the book of Philippians, we find some answers. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Where is your mind? 
Where is our thought life? Our thoughts often wander off into deep, dark territory. We can get ourselves stuck somewhere or even begin to believe things that simply aren't true. We can buy into the world and what it's telling us we need to be focused on. I'm sure there are many here who would say that uh, you struggle with that very thing. And the rest of you are just lying to yourselves. <laughs> because we all struggle. The antidote, Paul says, is to focus our thoughts on true things. Now this isn't like that kind of thing, you know, people are saying today, your truth and my truth. That is about as much hogwash as you're going to find in this world. There is God's truth. One plus one does not equal 11. God's truth is truth. And that's the truth we need to think about. Noble things, praiseworthy things, pure and lovely things. Anything that is admirable. But where do our minds take us? They take us to the opposite end of that spectrum. How many of us are, uh, and how many of you are like me, in that our minds can often go to the worst case scenario, right? We can get focused on the negative. We can believe the worst about a person. Uh, if we could just catch ourselves in the process and remember these are not the thoughts of God, and then ask God to help us with our thoughts, we might be able to overcome the problem. There's a little process that uh, I learned as I was reading Every Man's Battle. Some of you have read that book. But the, the thought is that when you're looking at something you don't need to be looking at, you bounce your eyes to something that you should be looking at. And the thoughts are the same way. When we're thinking a thought we shouldn't be thinking, we need to allow the Spirit to bounce our thought over to something that is more holy. Now, in Romans 12, 2, we get some practical advice about this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? And then you will be able to test and approve what whose will is, God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what we need to find, the will of God. And when we give in to those negative thoughts, we are actually conforming to the pattern of the world. You see, the world wants to take us down those deep, dark thoughts. And Jesus wants to lift our minds out of the gutter and up to heaven. Instead, we be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Spirit, through the reading of God's Word, and through prayer. And then you will be able to know what God's will is. And the will of God was at the forefront of the mind of Christ. You may remember in the Gospel of Luke, we get this picture of Jesus praying to God in the Mount of Olives. 
In Luke 22 and verse 42, we read, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was in anguish. That scripture goes on to say that, I mean, he was in emotional pain. And even still, he humbled himself and gave himself up to the will of God, which would lead to the cross. And friends, he knew it was leading to the cross. He knew where this path was taking him. Now, for us to even begin to consider the fact that our thoughts need to change, we have to humble ourselves. And I would say to you that pride and ego may be some of the worst, the, the, the sin that we all have from time to time is pride and ego. Uh, a person who believes that they don't need to change anything well, they're just like Mac Davis. I'm perfect in every way and getting even more perfect as the days go by. But that's not true. All of us are imperfect. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have something, maybe in our thought life, maybe in our actions, maybe in our obedience to God, but something needs to change. Are any of you familiar with the actor Denzel Washington? Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors, uh, he shared this story about his mom in a, a, a speech he was given to a college. He says, when I was young and started really making it as an actor, I came and, and talked to my mother and I said, Mom, did you think this was going to happen? I'd be so big and I'll be able to take care of everybody and I can do this and I can do that. And Mama Washington reprimanded her son. She said, oh, you did it all by yourself. I'll tell you what you can do by yourself. Go outside and get a mop and bucket and clean those windows. You can, be, you can do that by yourself, superstar. <laughs> and, and she went on, she said, boy, stop it right there. Stop it right there. Stop it right there. She said, if you only knew how many people have been praying for you, how many prayer groups, he goes on to say, that she put together, how many prayer talks she gave, how many times she splashed him with holy water to save his sorry butt. He said, I guess he said, behind, I'm sorry. Moms can be great bakers of humble pie. What is your thought life like? Do you find yourself focusing on the negative or just maybe focusing on yourself rather than God or rather than other people? Do you find yourself putting people down in your mind when you see them and maybe making judgments about them before you really know who they are? You may not think, I'm better than they are, but the way you think of them may actually reveal that that's exactly what you think. And friends, that is pride. And if we are to be more like Christ, we have to begin with the way we think. We must think humbly. 
But the second thing we need to do is we need to act on those thoughts. And that means we need to act humbly. Jesus had a humble mindset and a posture, as Paul relates in our Philippians passage in verses 6 through 7. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus acted in humility in the most unbelievable way. He did not count his godly nature. And we know that he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And he didn't count that godly nature as something to take advantage of as he lived here on earth. Now, I can imagine if some of us had that kind of power, there'd be some, there'd be some crazy things going on. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, you know that lottery? I'm, I know the numbers to that lottery. <laughs> I'm going to get that specifically for myself. We might use it for our own advantage. But instead, he willingly chose to make himself nothing by trading his godly nature for that of a servant. He acted in humility. He became human. He was born into a poor family. And the rest is history. I think back to that story about Desmond Doss. Do you remember what he said about the reason he stayed on that ridge? He, he didn't see his life as more valuable than the guys who were left behind. His humble thoughts caused him to act humbly, risking his own life for the lives of men, uh, some of those men who had abused him and called him coward. But it was genuine. He was able to walk the talk. He didn't just talk humbly, he acted humbly. Now on the other hand, there are those who put on an act to seem humble. In fact, they are proud of their humility. Doesn't that sound a little weird? Being proud of your humility. One former leader for Krispy Kreme acted humble, but then he took the limelight away from others. And after everyone discovered that he was merely faking humility to get ahead in the business, the Krispy Kreme board fired him. And one business expert said, if you have to act humble, it won't work. You either are or you aren't. Acting humble so people will think you're nicer than you are, sort of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? But when you think humbly towards yourself, your actions will show that humility. It will be natural. It will be evident. But beware of people who promote their own humility. True humility never boasts in itself. It will always find others to boast in. I think of those quiet, humble people who just go about their lives doing the simple, everyday things that they can to make other people's lives better. I think of the person who cares for the needs of their spouse, who is unable to care for themselves. Day in and day out, they feed and they clothe 
and they bathe, and they care for that person that they married. We have some people here who are like that. I'm not going to embarrass you by calling you out, but I know who you are. And I think of my old friend Dick Tibbs from the Macedonia church I was at many years ago. His wife had Alzheimer's, and he did all that he could to take care of her. They had lived on a meager income after his retirement. And yes, they did have a life insurance policy or, or a health policy that would provide for long-term care. I think when he got it, it was like $25,000. I think he thought that'll last a lifetime. Well, when it got to where she became violent and she became a threat to herself and a threat to him, she had to go into a 24-hour facility. And that money was gone in about six months. And it broke his heart to send her to this place. But every week, he would travel and go see her. And every week, he would buy her a little something and take it with him. And when others would tell him that he could have it a lot easier if he would just divorce her and let the state take care of her. He was indignant. Well, I made a vow. I told her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And I meant it. And even though she didn't even know him when he went, he still went. You know, stories of great humility almost always cause us to think a step back or take a step back and offer our admiration of those involved. And obviously, Jesus is the greatest example of this. He is the gold standard, if you will. But maybe these stories are so striking because they're so rare. It's almost unbelievable to us that people would take time out of their busy lives to serve and to love and to give up so much of themselves, which is probably why Jesus told us to act in humility, to serve and love one another, and to give all the glory to God in the process. And that's, that's a real sign of whether this is a humble act. Am I getting all the credit for it? Am I looking for the pat on the back? Am I wanting people to recognize me? Or am I wanting God to receive the glory? Friends, humility is fundamentally about others. It's, it's not about thinking less of yourself. It's literally thinking about yourself less. You see the difference? Focus your time and energy and thoughts on others, on God especially. Become more we-focused and less me-focused. Humility is so powerful because being selfish is our normal operating procedure. And Jesus taught us to break the norm and be radical and love others. And it starts with how we think, and it grows into selfless acts of service for others, and it continues in obedience to the great calling of Christ in our lives, which is our third point. Obey humbly. You know, one of the most important steps we can take as it relates 
to mirroring Jesus's humility is the step of obedience. It's one thing to act in a humble way towards others, but it's another to obey humbly before God. And you, and you know, these days, just the word obey is offensive to some people. You know, many people will reject Jesus just because he told them they needed to obey. In fact, Jesus said of himself, look, if, if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus set that as the standard. But instead of obeying, people are offended. How dare anyone tell me to be humble and obey? That's the mindset of the world. And sad to say, it can be the mindset of many people even in church. How dare you ask me to do something that takes me out of my comfort zone? Paul says that when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, frequently, obedience may cost something while birthing something wonderful. You remember the scene in Scripture where Jesus was sentenced to death? In Mark chapter 15, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named or called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Even Pilate, the one who would make the decision regarding Jesus, did not believe all of the accusations made against Jesus. He certainly knew that Jesus had done nothing deserving of the death penalty, and yet he did not defend himself. Jesus didn't argue with them. And this is what obedience to the Father looked like for Jesus. How often do we pray a similar prayer as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, may your will be done. There's something humbling 
about realizing how incapable we are to save ourselves. We are called to entrust that part to Jesus' sacrifice. And that's what obedience for us looks like on a day-to-day basis. It looks like bowing before Christ every day on our knees, inviting Him into our story and thanking Him for His sacrificial love. And that sacrifice is what obedience cost Jesus, His very life. But what did Jesus' obedience birth? The Bible makes it clear that Jesus did not stay dead. Instead, all of the pain and suffering in the life of Jesus served a purpose, just as it does in our lives. Do you believe God can use the hard times that you've been through in your life for good? Do you believe God can take all of the bad mess and turn it into something good. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, we read, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." Friends, all along, God was working in the life of Jesus. And the same is true for you and is true for me. Can God use every situation, every frustration, every obstacle, every disappointment, every discouragement, every last thing for good to those who love Him? I think the answer is yes. And as we learn to trust Him, we learn the value of obedience and faithfulness, which leads us to look more and more like Jesus. One last verse, John 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that uh, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. In that passage, Jesus invited his disciples and I would suggest you and me to remain in His love, and to keep His commandments. He invites us to be obedient and to offer a a, a new command, to love one another as He has loved us, to lay our lives down for those we say we care about, just like He did. So, friends, I want you to consider your road to humility this week. What are the areas in your life that you need to think less of yourself and more of others? How can you put others first? How can you trade your life, your will, your schedule, your time, your energy for someone else who may be in need? 
How can you lift others up? How can you encourage them? How can you help them feel loved? Use your prayer life to lift them up and ask God to give you those opportunities. What command has God given you that you have been refusing to obey because of your stubborn pride? What is it? Humbly lay that pride aside and follow him today. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for the example that he set for us of humble love. Today, we thank you for his sacrifice and his willingness to put your will ahead of his own, to obey you all the way to the cross and beyond. Father, in order for us to fully accept that sacrifice, we must think humbly. We must set aside the pride and the ego that tells us we don't need God. We must realize that on our own, we are lost. The only way for anyone to be saved is through Jesus and his sacrifice. And if that were not so, what a waste. What a waste. You would never send your son to die for us unless it absolutely had to happen. Father, we stand before you humbly today knowing that we are not good enough. We can never be good enough on our own. We have no reason for the pride and the ego that haunts our days. And so, Father... Help us leave that pride and ego at the cross and take upon ourselves the humble character of Jesus. May we act humbly and obey humbly. Help us this week to reflect that character of Jesus. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.